What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Divi Crypto Podcast. I am your co-host, Steve McGarry, here, and I am joined today by Eyal Herzog, the founder of Bancor. How's it going today, Eyal? It's going great. How are you? Excellent. Excellent. I'm doing fantastic. Really excited to get into this interview just because I know a lot of people on the show and in the community have really talked a lot about a bank or in the past. But before we get into that, let's talk about your your background a little bit, your origin story. You know, we really like to cover that first on, on the show here. So what got you into the space and when did you get in? So, you know, I've been, I've been in technology since I was very young. I'm 46 today. And I guess I have 40 years in technology because I almost, I started when I was seven years old. I went to the Israeli military to a special program in the intelligence for kind of kids that knew how to program at high school and I've spent there four years in, in the Israeli intelligence and you know in Israel if you do that next thing you go you join the startup I joined the startup uh, in 98 I started my own company it was a social network called contact.com it was in the peak of the dot-com uh, you know hype and bubble and all of that uh, you know which crashed in 2001 and in, in, in 2003, I started my second company, MetaCafe, which was a video sharing site. It was only second to YouTube. Uh, you know, we had like 50 million users every month. We were even bigger at, at some point, but it's, it's kind of a winner takes it all game. <laughs> and, uh, and in 2010, you know, it was clear that YouTube kind of won the game and I, um, I moved back, I was living in Palo Alto, I moved back to Israel, started to use that thing that I helped creating to use online video. And in 2011, after I've been watching videos all day, I ran into a video about uh, Bitcoin. And, you know, I, I had a background with building decentralized protocols, MetaCafe, we actually used P2P uh, uh, protocols like eDonkey and eMule, like to, to uh, to transfer files uh, when, when bandwidth was too expensive. And I, I had a lot of um, experience with, with consumer product. And because of those two years I spent at home, you know, watching videos, so you can imagine I watched a lot of videos that also conspiracy and, and about the, the central banking and how money works. And, and all of a sudden I saw this video in 2011 about, about Bitcoin and everything kind of mixed together, everything composed together. It was clear to me instantly that the next phase of my life is going to be a center around that. And that was basically what happened. I've been, I've been in full time in, in blockchain and Bitcoin since started the first company in 2012. Uh, which did user-generated the currencies, mostly for community. You couldn't even do that on the blockchain. There was no Ethereum back then. So we did it for community currencies in Israel, a company called uh, uh, AppCoin. We did some very interesting pilots. And uh, we, we, we ran into an issue with a lot of the pilots that we couldn't have liquidity for those uh, community currencies. And we needed a solution. And out of that uh, need, uh, Bancor was born. Because Bancor was born as a solution to provide liquidity to any asset, any size with no need for exchange, no need for, that was what, what it came to solve. And I think that only today we're seeing that, that you know, it's, it's really starting to solve that problem in the large uh, scale because 
project don't feel anymore they need to be listed in exchange through the technology that we invented at Banco, which is the liquidity pools. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think with everything going on right now with with DeFi, Bancor has definitely been a topic of conversation. So you know, you guys have been pretty much the front runners of of yeah. this space. I'd like to think because you guys started with that in mind that you were going to be providing liquidity and you didn't have to you know go list on a bunch of exchanges. So mm -hmm. what's that been like watching the the kind of big wave of DeFi coming into the space now after you guys have been working on this for years now? You know, this is this is amazing to see, you know, even after so many years. When we released, I guess it's kind of naivety, when we released Banquet to the World, uh, and that was February uh, 2017, in a conference, the Ethereum Developer Conference, we're sponsoring the conference, we're releasing it, and we thought to ourselves, look, we, we are coming with a solution that is going to revolutionize liquidity in all levels and enable those smart contract networks to have like built-in liquidity for every token that smart contracts can use at all time. That's a big deal. That's a big solution. Uh, uh, we wonder. We wondered how the world's going to react to that, mm -hmm. and and it almost, you know, it, it it was almost disappointed, the disappointing to to hear the crickets, because no one got it. Like no, like no one. Maybe maybe some few people, but that's like really not a lot. Today, everyone get it, but but it's a process that takes like three years or so from the moment that you introduce a new concept that let's say that is uh, uh you know legitimately useful and valid and it would take three years for the industry to recognize that the the the, the concept as such and then ethereum is a great example ethereum was lying around for three years until you know 2017 when people thought you know what that's that might be a good idea this ethereum thing you know let's let's build stuff on that so it's a very, very slow process for, for industry to kind of digest it collectively and, and, and a new idea to, to the level that they can imagine building things with it. And, and you know, it just takes a long, a long time. Definitely, definitely. And, uh, you know, I've I actually lived in San Mateo for uh, a couple of years, I want to say like three years or so, right down the street from Draper. Um, Draper University. And I remember mm -hmm. when you guys were really coming onto the scene, um, you know, Tim Draper and a lot of people were really talking about Bangor. And that was really when I started digging into it was when he mentioned it. So can you talk about that? How, what mm -hmm. that experience was like when you were, um, you know, going around the, the, the ecosystem that is Tim Draper <laughs> over there with the, uh, mm -hmm with his whole, you know, investing arm and all that. So I have to say that, you know, we, we are four founders at Bancor. Uh, this is uh, Galia, uh, Galia Benarzi, who is a sister to Guy Benarzi, and uh, Yudi Levy, who is this, uh, kind of the technologist of, of, of the group, uh, and, and myself. And one of the advantages of being like a group of four people, we've been going back, you know, since the, the beginning of this journey. 
mm-hmm. in 2011. And one of the advantages is that you know you 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 can actually split the big tasks. So the whole uh, kind of um, dialogues and discussions with uh, Tim Draper was done when by Galia was not even involved. She communicated uh, you know what Bancor is very very well, and I was not needed in that in that scene. Nice. So I can you know. I can talk to you about my trips in China, you know, <laughs> uh, that, that that were lengthy, and uh, you know, it's uh, it was it was an amazing experience because for the first time, you know, uh, uh, for, for me, I've been kind of involved in the VC kind of startup since since you know the early uh, the early days, and for the first time. You, you're able to see some kind of a global scene that is happening. And I think that that was very, very encouraging to see kind of, you know, entrepreneurs and investors from all over the world, which is one of the great things about crypto that it allows that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh. definitely. So you're also the CEO of D-Web. So I definitely want mm-hmm. to bring that up because I think it's, it's always a fascinating thing in this space where you have people working on multiple projects because there's just so much, to do <laughs> basically mm-hmm. like building the infrastructure here for the, the future of um, you know the world effectively so what uh, what is dweb exactly because I, I I dug around on it I saw that you know it was kind of like a three-way um, user experience between developers operators and marketers but well, I would love I, like a high level on what it is I think I think the simplest way to think about it is that it's the um, if if we had software in the beginning and then we had open source software, mm-hmm. what we have today is proprietary services that would be, uh, and, and, the, and the parallel would be public services. So just, just like with software, before we had open source, it was very centralized. You had like huge companies like Microsoft and Oracle and you know, all those companies and they had a huge network effect. And Microsoft was actually the biggest most profitable company in the world, you know, and definitely in technology, but 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 in, for sometimes was the highest market cap in the world, and and that was because it had proprietary technology and everyone used that and that was software technology and it was a world of software because there was no internet so software was all the rage, all the ingenuity in in, in information technology was essentially in software, but then. We had the internet and internet like opened everything up and actually enabled open source software. And now you can have software that is not owned by any specific entity. It's 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 more like a standard. It's it's owned by anyone. It can be forked. It's open source. It's the it's a public good. And and guess what? You know, it took over every major category in software in the last 20 years. It's amazing to see that. So it's an ecosystem that builds the software, not a specific company, and that's how you prevent monopolization of, of, of software. And we successfully did that. We're using software. The entire internet was built on a non-monopolized software stacks, and, and that was what makes it uh, successful. But but it, it was using that, that free software in order to build proprietary and monopolized online services and there's only one service today that everyone's using that is not proprietary and owned by a single company there's only one online service i mean we use social networks we use you know chat we use so many things but there's only one and that one thing is email 
the only service that is not owned by anyone. It's, it's, it's public and, and you can have many, many different servers that give you email and whenever you use each one, you have access to the entire email network. Now, interestingly, why is it the only one? And, 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 and what DWeb is, is basically filling that gap because, because email was built in an age that we didn't have public databases. So we couldn't essentially build services uh, that, that, are, that are completely public because we didn't have a database that would be uh, at the backbone of that, that would be public mm -hmm. as well. I call blockchain a public database. We didn't have that. If we had blockchain, then email would have much smoother right. It survived all those years, but barely survived with spam and phishing. And, but if it had an, a database, you know, that, that would, it could have a directory of users with, with trust relationship. One can argue that you wouldn't have Facebook if email had a database that everyone can use, everyone can write to, everyone can read from. And, and it was public, not owned by anyone. And, and this is what DWeb is doing, is, is basically saying, look, you can, uh, using the framework, it's just a framework, you can build services that, that are essentially running by the ecosystem. And, and, and there are three roles, basically, is the developers that build the software, and then anyone can be an operator. The reason that anyone can be an operator takes the developer software, run it on their servers. It's very simple, what we're using right now, it's like, Google Firebase, but you can take the developer software, you run for your server, now you, you're operator, you're like a cloud service, but you can have millions like that because everyone is using the same backend database. So it doesn't matter how many operators you have. It's, it's, there's, there's no uh, scalability kind of uh, limit there. And, and, and now the, the third level is what we like to call uh, marketers or domain owners. Those are people that, you know, they, they kind of, um, serve the service to, to the end user just by owning a domain. So you, you have your own domain, uh, you run your server, you point it to some operator and, and, and then you get users, you acquire users, they can use you like everyone, like anyone that operate an email server, but, you know, much, much simpler. You don't need any technical capabilities. So, so you have those three different classes that enable you to run a service in a, in a fully decentralized way because each, each domain owner can choose to, you know, to have different modules that are coming from different operators, uh, that operators that using this, this different software. And, and in the core of it, there is a royalty um, distribution engine that makes sure that whenever revenue is generated uh, um, by, by essentially by the marketer, by the, by the end, user destination that, that the user happened to use, whenever revenue is generated, it is shared with the operator and the developer. So as a developer, when you build software, um, you say, you know, anyone can use that software, but I'm just going to get 5% of what this software makes. And because it's a public databases, there's no problem for you to know that. Same thing for operators. An operator can run the service, can say, you know, anyone can use the server, everyone can run their domain on my servers, no problem, but you know it costs a lot of money, and I want you know seven percent of the uh, of of the income made. I want these royalties for my services, and you know operate.
Competitors and developers can compete between them on this, but it's, a, it's, a, it's an open system, but it's a system where, where, where revenue flows. That's made, what makes it different than open source. Because there's no ongoing cost for open source software, it's just, just data, but there is definitely all ongoing cost for services. Interesting. And this is what uh, DWeb essentially enables people to build. And, you know, we build the first one and we already have some groups that have built and released product on DWeb. It's extremely, extremely easy to build on DWeb. You literally don't need to do anything but focus on the HTML. You get the whole kind of user's wallet, uh, you know, tokens, liquidity, and, and, and the royalties. All of that is just done. You just focus on the logic of your application and, 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 and run it on a server. And it would work with with, with any D-Web uh, module. Basically, it's, it's a form of integration that is very unique. I think I haven't seen it before. Because if you write a module and let's say I'm, a, I'm a, a marketer, I have a domain and users come to my domain and you build some module for, for, for the system. The first system that we're building, by the way, it's a message board, not surprising, by the way. Uh, email is already a public service, but we don't have public message board today. We used to call news groups and, uh, and Usenet, but what we're building is public message board. You can see them in many demos on, on our website in dweb.io. You can, you can see the first kind of beta, tasting, beta testers, I could say. And, and in all through those demos, you have, you, you, you have a, multiple operators, many, many different domains that people kind of host those message boards, but they all form a single network. They all see each other because again, there's a public database on the, on the background. And if someone want to build an extra module for that, it's completely permissionless. You can build a module tomorrow. And maybe I have like a domain that, that hosts such a, such a service. I would just need to add you to a configuration file and your, 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 your uh, whatever, functionality you provide, let's say you provide a way to upload videos or whatever, it is going to be fully integrated to the website. Uh, you will get access to the local information of the user as if you're part of my system. It's actually a full trust relationship. So it's really, really easy to build more modules, much easier than to build apps for, for Android and iPhone, you know, by orders of magnitude. So this is what we're trying to do, to build like a ecosystem that builds an online service. Not a single company, but an ecosystem. And for that, it needs to come from multiple domains. Anyway, I feel I talked for too long. I, you need to stop me because <laughs> I can go on and on with DWeb, you know, for hours. I'm no, it's, very, it's very definitely, excited about that. It's definitely a really fascinating idea and, and, and model with the royalty percentage. If a developer builds something that's, um, you know, open source on there, they can charge 5%. In By the way, it does not need to be open source. This is a very interesting point. You can build software. It's like shareware. I don't know if uh, you know if you're old enough to remember, but mm -hmm. but it, it used to be that we had downloadable software that people would install, and if you use it after 30 days, supposed to. So it's like software that is freely distributed. You need to pay licensing, but it's not open source. But you can download it. You can always download uh, you know whatever version it ever had. Yeah, but it's not open source because this is, you know, this is the personal livelihood. If he makes it open source, someone's going to just copy it, offer the same service for half the price without the dev cost. 
You know, there's a reason Facebook doesn't open source Facebook. There is a reason Reddit used to be open source is not open source anymore. Uh, open source is only for stuff that is completely commoditized. That is, you know, that, that it makes sense that everyone in the world would actually join forces in an effort to create kind of a free version that everyone could use. But if you're innovating, you're building something new, it wasn't the first browser, good browser was open source. It was the second good browser that was open source. We always start with proprietary. So it's good. We have the Facebook, we have the Instagrams, we have the YouTubes, we have the Reddits. They showed us the way, they showed us what needs to be done, but now it needs to be public. It does not make sense for that to be in a single network. Even just in terms of censorship, you see all the problems they have. In this model, each message board is responsible for its own censorship. And you know, maybe they, they want to disconnect from some, some other message board and not show message from that. They can do that, but it's an individual decision of each message board, which we which makes like a whole huge networks of, of message board together. But there's no single point where they, they decide what is the truth, what is the fact-checked information, this kind of crap, excuse me. So what, uh, point for that. what would an example be of a, a project? Like a, do you have like a um you know, a, a basic example that you could share in terms of, you know, what would be something that a developer builds that they get royalties for yeah, and the operator gets of royalties course. for and then the marketer gets royalties for. So this is, this is what we, we build. It's, it's essentially like, uh, think about it as a Reddit. It's a mini Reddit. So you can have your own Reddit with subreddits that your users create and I can have mine and any, any influencer, any creator can have its own Reddit. But they all form one huge Reddit that everyone can see and everyone can 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 search and and and, and browse. Now the and 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 each one is essentially it's a message board. Now you know the, the revenue model here is I think the most important and interesting part because it's again it's a it's a public service. So how do you do that? We use a model that is very very simple. It's called the sponsorship model. It means that each post in the network has a sponsor, and that sponsor can be you provided that you pay 30% more than the last sponsor. So basically you can buy any real estate, any sponsorship real estate or any post on any node in the network. And, 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 and you just need to pay 30% more than the, the, the last sponsor. And the way that it works is that when you do that, so let's say there is a great post, it's very popular and there is a banner on this post and, 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 and the banner is part of the sponsorship. And let's say I want to uh, sponsor the item uh, right now. I want my banner to be displayed there. So if the current uh, um, price would be, uh, the last price was $10, I will have to pay $13. And out of those $13, first of all, the last sponsor will be reimbursed. We'll get their $10 back, but they're not going to just be reimbursed. They're going to get 10% more. So they're going to profit for being quote unquote outbidded. Uh, so they will get eleven dollars, uh, the, the last sponsor. The writer of the post will get a dollar and the, uh, the 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 message boards will get one dollar as as revenue. So uh, whenever uh, someone is bidding and willing to pay more in order for their message to show on the post, they actually generate revenue. And the revenue is actually the 30% difference because you always reimburse the last one. So it means that third goes to the writer, third goes to the curators, you could call that, because everyone that was outbidded 
uh, in the process are like curators. They signal that this post is, is, is good because they wanted to buy the space. It's a very interesting model in that sense. But the idea is that you create this kind of system, which is completely works on the blockchain. You know, that the, the idea is that you can move money as easy as you can move bits with TCPIP mm -hmm. is very helpful here, especially the fact that whenever you do that, you send money to so many people, you know, you, you couldn't do that with the existing world system. It's definitely not with micropayments, definitely not globally. And 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 here it's like no brainer. You just, you know, whenever someone's sponsored, all this, you know, micropayments goes to all those people. And you have kind of an open, free, uh, a completely transparent environment. And now the developer of the software, which is us, and the operator, which is, Maybe EOS Nations, they're a great uh, operator we're working with that, that run our, uh, our software. And, you know, we will get maybe 5% and they will get maybe 5% off uh, each time that revenue is generated. So out of the um, message board portion of the revenue, you know, we'll get 5%, they will get 5% for every upvote that, that, that uses our software or every upvote that uses their servers. You're just it. taking money Got from it. the upside. That makes sense. That makes sense. Thanks for the for the um, explanation there. I, I I totally see that being something that draws all three people in: the operator, the developer, and the marketer. That's that's pretty fantastic. So hmm. that's pretty much all the the questions I have. I love that we went through Bancor first, and then kind of into DWeb because that is like an ambitious project, and I love ambitious projects like that. Uh, so where can people go and learn more about D-Web and, and Bancor? So dweb.io, it's D-E-W-E-B. So it's not, uh, it's, it's a symmetrical uh, word if you look at it. D-Web and uh, dweb.io, uh, there are links from there to many. Uh, if you go to the apps, there are links to all the message boards that are kind of starting to use. It's all very fresh. We just released kind of a, uh, the latest version a few weeks ago, uh, solving bugs. So it's, it's really in the beginning. We have the you know initial batch of of customers, and we're about to launch um, some bigger names uh, to use the product. Excellent, excellent. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show. If you guys are listening on iTunes, Spotify, or SoundCloud, all the links will be in the show notes to what Ayal was just talking about with DWeb as well as Bancor links. So definitely check that out. But once again, thank you so much for coming on the show, Ayal. Thank you for having me.